Hey, and welcome to another episode of Digital Noir Presents Humans Aren't Robots, live from Pause Fest 2019. This is actually a really exciting podcast for me. It's the first podcast we launch our new name, Humans Aren't Robots, and we have a really fitting guest uh, for this name change and slight change of direction for us here on the podcast. If you've been listening to the podcast for the last over two years now, over 100 episodes deep, I often come back to these conversations with business owners and marketers and and entrepreneurs about the human side of what they do. Technology is great and business is great, but we can't do it without people. And we're all people. And I don't think we talk enough about um, some of the complexities that come with being a a human. Um, And some people might argue that we are actually just uh, soft-skinned robots but uh, as we know, living in you know, this modern world, uh, we get caught up in all of the technology and, and distractions that are around us. So I really want to take a deep dive into the people behind the technology, the people behind this digital landscape that we find ourselves in in 2019. And I'm really excited to introduce in this podcast, Mr. Stephen Gates. I spoke to Stephen at Pause Fest earlier in the year. He is the head design evangelist at InVision. If you work in any creative industries, uh, you'll be well aware of of InVision and the great product they have. His role there at InVision is really going into um, large organizations uh, and looking at their design practices um, as a whole um, and taking a deep dive into how they use design within their businesses. And we get into that. He's also the host of the Crazy One podcast. Um, I must admit, when I sat down with Stephen, I'd heard of his name before and uh, seen, I think, a few of his articles around the place, but, th- but didn't know that much. But since then, I've become a, a real fan. Uh, the Crazy One podcast is an incredible um, insight into the mind of a brilliant designer and someone that's been in and around creative industries his whole life, literally since he was uh, 12 years old. We, he grew up um, in an ad agency, literally. Um, his focus is about the human element. So... Um, as designers, as creatives, we really need to embrace um, our vulnerability and, and create safe spaces for us to, to do this kind of work that, that is, can be quite taxing. Um, he's a, a real proponent of mental health within the creative industries um, and generally a, a really passionate and exciting guy. It's really worth checking out some of his keynotes on YouTube. If you just Google him, you'll find them. It was great seeing him down at Pause Fest. So without further ado, Let's jump in with the crazy one, Mr. Stephen Gates. Hey, Stephen. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Is it your first time at Pause Fest? More than that. It's actually my first time uh, in Australia. Awesome. How long have you been here for? So I've been here... Well, let's see. I got in... Two days ago, I okay. uh, did my keynote about 23 hours after getting here, coming yeah. off of a 22-hour flight. It's a long flight. It is. So, yeah, it's been amazing, I think, especially having left uh, New York City in the grip of the middle of winter. Yeah, had some cold weather over there. Yeah, coming down here to, uh, to all of this, I can I can definitely see making a case for, uh, <laughs> for for maybe spending my winters and doing some work down here going forward. Yeah, definitely. So, first time to Australia, totally? Yeah, to- totally. What's the trip look like? Are you around for a bit? Or? Yeah, I am. So, um, I'm doing Pause Fest 
class for these three days. Yeah. Um, actually, tomorrow morning, I'm leaving for the Otways. They're doing a leadership retreat out there, so I'm going to go teach at that. Yeah, beautiful. And then um, spending all of next week in Sydney, meeting with some customers, doing a few little things around there. So. Yeah, kind of figure. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna travel this far, you want to you want to make it uh, make it well worth the time. You love your time in Sydney. Yeah, if we got some time at the end, I'll jump back and talk about food because I know you're into food. So I've got some probably some tips for you around nice. that. Nice. Yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> have you seen much of Melbourne yet, or you've been sort of just there? Uh... Yeah, no, I have. I think you know I'm a big street art fan, big, really big into food, and so yeah, I think whenever he got here, powered through the jet lag to go walk around some of the alleys and uh, look at a lot of the art. I love sort of the, the cafe scene. There was uh, there's actually a restaurant here in town we went to last night that is in Melbourne and San Sebastian, Spain. And so we'd been to the one in San Sebastian, so bookended it with the one here. Yeah, cool. What was that? Uh, it was called George's. It's just like oh, yeah, a little... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, we're heading to San Sebastian uh, later in the year. Looking oh, forward to that. Yeah. Good food there, too. Definitely. <laughs> awesome. So I didn't actually get to see your talk yesterday, so um, I heard a few things about it, but if you could uh, maybe get, run me through it in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the talk yesterday was called The Power of Crazy, and I think, you know, crazy is a word I've latched onto for my personal brand. It's, it's a word that I've latched onto for a lot of different reasons. And, I, and the talk yesterday was really centering around, so Envision, last week we came out with, it's the world's largest study of design maturity in companies and, and what is the value of design. I know other companies have done it. Ours is about 77 times bigger. Sure. And the thing that we're seeing is that as you look at how mature our design teams inside of a lot of the companies, we see that there's a value of design. We see that they're making an impact. But we are seeing that in a lot of cases where they aren't able to have the organizational level impact that they really want to. And so, you know, the, the talk is really focusing around that design is obviously we're having a moment. You know, you've seen the rise in design thinking, a lot of these sort of festivals, things like that popping up. But I think if we aren't able to figure out how do we raise the maturity level and how does this not become part of the everyday of what companies do, we run the danger of it just being a moment. Okay. So the talk was really kind of looking at then what are the different dimensions, sort of like what are some of the things we need to stop doing, start doing, keep doing sort of embrace about these sort of things so that we're able to really sort of break through and have a bigger impact. What are some of those key things you think we can start doing that we're perhaps not doing now? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, how do we really, how do we start being honest about what the creative process is? I think how do we be honest about being inclusive to be able to bring people into our process and, and, and to really be thoughtful about the way that we do it? Like even part of the thing I always ask people to stop doing, like stop using words like failure. Stop referring to ideas as light bulbs. Stop, because it implies a simplicity that just isn't the way this really is. There's and, a lot and, of nuance around this. Well, and it is. And I, I've, I've argued for years that creativity is a blue-collar profession. Okay. You know, the, the idea that it's a light bulb and it's just that easy really sort of undermines all of us. So I, I think that for me it really is about how do we start being able to have that sort of an impact? How do we start even embracing things like design imposter syndrome? To, to really look at that, you know, we're being asked to do a lot more. Design has transitioned in many cases from visual design mm. to product design. A lot more goes into that. And so, again, I think, you know, our ability to understand our creativity and summon it on demand really becomes important. And there is a, has been a bit of a renaissance, I suppose, around what design is, right? So, yeah. the, you know, it, it really does go through all facets of business now, right? And so you've got designers that have had no visual training at all, right. but are working, you know, on some really interesting stuff around strategy or whatever it might be. I think needing to bring in other stakeholders who maybe look at design still is that, you know, yeah, as, as those light bulb, right. crazy, well, not crazy, you know, creatives that come and do the, their thing and wow, but it, right. teaching them about the process? Well, and I think you know, for me, a lot of it is how do we sort of either nuance 
how we define design or how do we separate creativity from design? Because I think a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about bringing in other people, whenever we talk about that's more of a creative process. And I'll argue that everyone is creative. We've all just forgot. Or a lot of people we work with have forgot. And I think, you know, creativity is about problem solving. It's about consumer centricity. It's about a lot of those Connecting things. Connecting dots. Yeah, that everyone can participate in. Design in the traditional sense, then, is the visual expression of that thinking. Sure. So I think that, again, it is starting to look at, yeah, how are we more inclusive? Because I think the modern definition of design means you need to work with your product people and your tech team. And it's not just the make it pretty, you know, sort of era anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that angle. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I wanted to go into, I suppose, what you saw as design, you know, being now in, in 2019, which we sort of touched on there. Right. So it, it really has transitioned. How do you feel about, I suppose, I suppose that's where your talk came these buzzwords, you know, like design thinking and like things around marketing, like authenticity, right. these things that get latched onto, which I think have real merit at their, at their core. Right. But then, yeah, then just do be kind of tend to become in the corporate world anyway, these. Yeah. No. And, and I think, you know, th there's a very real movement lately that I've, I've been sort of fascinated around, around either design thinking or design sprints or things like that are kind of BS. Like a lot of people reject them. And I think, you know, the, the idea behind a lot of this is design thinking has been around for 50 years. It's no different than a recipe. If I'm, if I'm going to cook dinner for somebody and I skip ingredients and I skip steps, the end result is not going to be good. A methodology is no different, right? And so, again, I, like, there are literally teams that I've had conversations with that will tell me that they use design thinking and can only reference it by the fact that there's a pile of Post-it notes in the middle of the desk, <laughs> right? So I think that a lot of it is, again, how do we sort of become the Sherpas? How do we become those people that can show the way and to make things even like failure and or the ability to learn, right? Like that's probably the better way to say it. Like, yeah, because failure is just badly positioned learning, but, but how do we learn? How do we iterate? How do, how do we sort of evolve in that to be a little bit more open and inclusive of other people in that process? So, so one of, in your role of um, head of design transformation, so you're going into, um, you know, some of your enterprise partners at Envision, right. um, like what sort of things have you, uncovered, I suppose, you know, being able to look underneath the... Uh... Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting time just for the fact that my team can exist because, you know, what we've really seen is there's a ton of information out there. There's a ton of tools out there. There is a real need for people to understand how to put those together in ways that actually elevates the impact of design. And I think, you know, the thing that we see are you know, very fundamental levels, teams that don't understand what their value is. Okay. They position their value more in the design than the creativity. So it's more of a commoditized relationship to an organization. We see teams that there is not trust between their partners and that sometimes you need a third party who can come in and have a discussion about how your relationship isn't about who's right. Because there's so many relationships about is tech right, is product right, is design right. If somebody's right, somebody's wrong. And I think sometimes you know, our role is also that sort of like executive hysteria management around, you know, if there's an organization where some executive needs to have all of the ideas, how do we reshape that culture? So again, I think, you know, for us, it really is, there's a lot in teaching, there's a lot in coaching and thought leadership, but then also really understanding, okay, you know, we have sort of a set of things that we really understand how to do well. The combination application for that particular customer is sort of where the, the secret sauce comes in. It's interesting that a, that a business like Envision, and we've been using Envision in the studio since uh, fairly early days, I think. It's, it's a great tool, right? Yeah. It's, it, solved a, it solved a problem that, that, you know, I used to have to build HTML, you know, templates of our, you know, designs when yeah, we're yeah. in design phase so we could actually have it, you know, in the browser or whatever. It's, you know, a really simple idea. Sure. That's cool, right? Um, but it's great that you can sort of 
broaden out and sort of start looking at some of the bigger picture things around design and embracing right. the design community in general. Well, I think you know the, the community means so much to us, and I think since it was founded, that that's really been the emphasis, and and that was for us to go in to build these tools. But I think the other thing that we've really seen is that what is holding back a lot of design teams isn't their tool sets. It's their ability to deal with everything that is surrounding their work. And so, you know, I think for us, that was then the evolution of the company, the, the founding of my team was that if we really were going to continue to invest in that community, it's doing things like the design maturity studies to be able to, so we can have an honest conversation about where we all at to actually found my team where we go in and, you know, do we love if you use Envision? Of course. Do we work with teams who use other tools? Of course. Because again, I think for us, it really is about, again, how do we really elevate that impact of design? Not just the design team, but design inside of, again, a lot of these different companies. Yeah, and the impact that it can have in the broader sense of the company. Right. Well, because I think design is an amazing Trojan horse for change. Because if you think about you know, using something like design thinking. If you think about bringing people together, including them in a process, there's not an org chart, there's not a political power play, there's, it's just getting people to come together and trust each other. And, and that's the core of what, you know, the companies that do it really well, get right. And the ones who are working on it, that tends to be what they need to work on. And you tend to see, so if we bring a, um, let's say sort of at a board level or at a, you know, a C-suite level, and so a marketing team, you know, CFO, bring them into a room and do like a content strategy session for, let's say, a website rebuild and sort of take away all their, all their titles and say, well, let's just, let's, just, let's just have a chat. It's very interesting where those conversations oh, yeah. go. And, and I think a lot of it for us is that, you know, how, because one of the exercises we'll often do is just to get them to map out how do they communicate. And then the other big part is how deliberate are they in their creativity? Because like you said, you know, are there times when you're doing a brainstorm where everybody leaves their title at the door? It's not that an executive said something and then everyone scrambles around to justify why they agree with <laughs> yeah, it, that's that right. sort of a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think a lot of it for us is also really focusing on how do we change the thinking of a company, not the behavior. The behavior is the expression, right? The behavior is sort of the, the way the problem comes to life. The thinking is really the, the real heart of it. And too often, companies just behave a little bit differently. And that's great. And sort of the problem will go away for a couple months, but then it manifests itself in a new way because the underlying thinking is still there. And a part of that thinking, so some of the chats we had yesterday were about, um, you know, change management within organizations and really needing to start from the, you know, the lowest team member level right. and, and getting their thinking changed so that, you know, it, it trickles all the way back up to the top or pushes right. back up to the top rather than the, the opposite. And I think a lot of that is how do you get to organizations that are flat yeah. from an authority perspective? Again, you're still going to have, you know, very big and siloed organizations, but Again, the best teams are the ones where people are empowered to make decisions, where there is responsibility and accountability. It's not just everybody doing what they want, but people are empowered. Because I think, you know, that's the one of the things why I made this move and founded this team was I saw so many of my friends, so many people I talked to, so many people at events like this who are spending all their time keeping their job, not doing their job. Yeah, sure. And I think as, as my business has grown, because we used to be very flat and try and, you know, sort of preach that, but we, right. we've started finding, no, you, we, we, you do need to have uh, responsibilities and roles and, and, you know, report at certain levels, right. but keeping that open communication is the key, right? So that anybody can feel free to come up with an idea, can come into the, my office and say, hey, Sam, I don't think this is good what we're doing here. Or, right. You know, maybe we could do it better. And I think even as I look back kind of over my career and, and the work that I've done that did have an impact, it was even being a part of companies that 
you know, I would often say that they didn't always tell me yes, but they rarely told me no. Yeah, okay. It was one of those things where it's like, look, if you want to spend nights and weekends going and working on some wearable project because you think it's going to go someplace, great, go do it. That's and, right, and then, freedom. Yeah, and then come back, present it, and be able to do that. So I think that it does allow for that freedom, that investment. But Because then I think at that point I have an emotional connection that my job is no longer a paycheck. My, my job is something that I truly love, and I think that's that's the magic of what we do, right? Because creativity is so personal. It's so different for everybody and how we connect to it. And nobody goes home and it's like, oh, I'm five o'clock. I'm not creative anymore. Yeah, that's right. And it, I mean, I think, you know, purpose is another thing that has sort of been co-opted, but it's so important, right? If you, if you, if you do love what you do or you, you feel as if you're impacting change, even if it's just within your organization or just within your team, then yeah, that, I think that really sort of gets you out of bed in the morning. No, totally. And, and that's why I said, I think that was a big part of, you know, whenever this team was founded, I, I talked to the CEO of Envision and he was like, you know, where do you think there's this opportunity? And I said, I have so many people who write to me, so many people I talk to who say how upset they are because I talk about creativity, about how they, they wish it was or how they've heard it is. And again, that's why I said is it, it is so variable that for us to get to that place, to be able to really do what we love, it, it, there's just nothing like it. You grew up in, did you grow up in New York? No, so I grew up in, uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, really during the collapse of the steel mills. So there's a big steel industry there. Uh, my father was a creative director who had an ad agency. My mother made like soft sculpture, like clowns and puppets for children. My design education started when I was two years old on the 700-pound cast iron letterpress that was in my parents' basement. Uh, it did an amazing job of basically making me like a hipster by the time I was in kindergarten because I had been... So you like our cards. So oh, they, I do. They, these, these are done on Heidelberg uh, Platins. Uh, yeah, no, trust me. The, the, the smell of printer's ink makes yeah. me very nostalgic <laughs> for my childhood, but... But yeah, so I think, you know, I've been a paid designer since I was 12. Wow. And, you know, so for me, that, that connection to that really through my whole life, I, again, I think is sort of what really shaped my perspective growing up with a father who, who did this to be able to be alongside that sort of stuff gave me such an amazing head start and perspective on this stuff. And yeah, for me, like one of my favorite t-shirts actually is just a black t-shirt and it says letterpress, but it's flipped around backwards. <laughs> and like 99.9999% of people never get that shirt. Yeah. But man, the one who does, it is magical. <laughs> um, how did you find coming from that environment in Pittsburgh and then, you know, moving through your various uh, various career roles like the design community and especially in the states i'm interested in, I, I spent some time over in the uk right um into the late 2000s and the, and the web design community over there at that time was really vibrant and as there was a lot of knowledge sharing and online mostly but you know at events like this as well very right. op very open um and coming back to we're based in adelaide but coming back to australia in 2011 at, there was sort of none of that and the design right. community was very closed off you know I think because it's you know it's a it's a smaller pie, so everybody's sure. like, well, you know, we don't want to talk. But I found that uh, really debilitating. Like I, I love to have that open conversation, oh, yeah. and it's so good for the industry. Well, and I think again, you know, that's why for an envision, that's why we're trying to invest in these conversations because I think if you look at it just even globally, like on the one hand, the rise of social media has let designers anywhere in the world. If you do great work, you will get found. But at the same point. I kind of feel like maybe this Halloween, we all go as the people we pretend to be on social I media, that, yeah. right? <laughs> um, because I do think, you know, we, we have gotten to a place where we sort of almost like fetishize the beginning and the end of the process. We love the, the story about the two guys in the garage and we love what we can put on Pinterest or Dribble or, you know, sites like that. And we don't really have an honest conversation about what it is in the middle. And in many cases, you know, like, I mean, that was the thing. I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I went on Dribble and looked at the number one you know, design on there was beautiful, but it had like seven typos. 
And so, I, again, I think for me, the, the, the ability to not just have the conversation, because like I said, I think we've got plenty of that. Let's have an honest conversation. Let's talk about what these processes really like. What are we really going through? Because I think you know, it has created, in many cases, a bit of, that's why I think we're seeing the rise of that design imposter syndrome, because so many people end up comparing their insides to everybody else's outsides. Yeah, okay. Because I, I feel insecure. Like, I don't have the answers. Am I doing it right? But man, everybody on social media, they're killing it, and they're doing great, and they don't have any problems. It's not, it's not real. And, and so, again, I think our ability, that that's where events like this. I think that's where some of the things that we try to create are, how do we create the safe space to share that out, to be able to be vulnerable and do that? Because my argument is, you know, as we look at what leadership is going to become, as what design is going to become, vulnerability is going to be a big part of this. Because I think as we're going to ask more people to be more creative, we're going to have to make this sort of part of the arsenal. And you have to embrace those failures. And I don't think you're right that... You, all you see is sort of maybe the start and the end right. visually and then you know, there's nothing in between. I often joke with clients, they're always saying, well, you're out fishing and eating all the time, you know, when are you doing work? I'm like, well, I'm just, I could post up on Instagram, you know, right. here I am at 5.30 sitting in my office desk right. again, you know, but you know, nobody wants to see that. Well, but. no, and it's funny, like even whenever I came down here, you know, like I would try to treat, uh, try to even go onto Twitter, go onto social media on a regular basis and just saying like, I'm ha- like today sucks. Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, before I came down here, somebody was like, oh, it's good to know people on like Olympus in quotes have problems. And it's like, <laughs> of course they it, it's like if anybody tells you they don't, they're lying. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing is like we all share this creative condition. We all share that we're trying to put things together in different ways. And again, I think the more that we're able to share out what we learn, the more we're able to sort of start those conversations and to find those sort of people. Because even in the last couple of years, I started... It's called the Creative Unicorns Anxiety Club. And it's it's a bunch of my friends who meet once a month and it's totally private. And what we do is everybody shows up with one problem where we can discuss, again, you know, for the type of organizations we're building, how do we just have a safe cohort to sort of have a conversation? And that's great. And I think a lot of people in creative industries are often siloed off and they, they don't get to talk to... Um, you know their, their colleagues or peers in other organizations and because we all face the same problems right, right? and I mean I, I'll constantly preach to people like don't underestimate the power of lunch like just say hey you know can we go grab a sandwich hey can we yeah and just even you know I love people who will even reach out to me in events like this can we grab a cup of coffee yeah I, there's a startup founder I spent an hour with this morning but but it is just sort of again being vulnerable to saying okay look let's just see where this goes and and, and letting people know that 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 opportunity exists. The first time I came here was about five years ago. And the thing I loved about it the most was that, you know, the speakers were all, you know, stoked on what was happening. And they were back at the front listening to other people talk. And they were out talking to everybody and mingling. And it wasn't this sort of us and them situation. And it's sort of like, I mean, that's great for a young designer or, you know, a startup, whatever you might be to be like, well, you know, I can actually get in there and have some conversations with people that are doing cool stuff, whatever it might be. yeah, and, but I think that that's where, and part of our challenge now as an industry is how do we start to replicate that more at scale? Yeah. How do we start to be able to, to have that accessibility? Because, yeah, there are plenty of people I know are shocked that, like, whenever I'll actually answer an email. Because they'll say, yeah, other people won't do it, or, you know, again, they don't want to give advice. Great. I hope they enjoy what will probably be a fairly <laughs> short-lived career, right? Because right. I just think, again, you know, for what we're going through, we've got to pass it on and, and to really invest in this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think us growing up with, you know, not having the internet as, as kids and, and, and being on that edge, but I feel like people that, you know, have grown up with it, 
they do feel that sort of bubble and barrier of it sometimes. Right. And, and, that, and that actually going out and having, whether it's online or off, but that, that actual human connection is, you know, is that possible? Well, and I think that... With, with a million Twitter followers. Right. right. Well, but, that, but that's the thing, right? Is that, you know, we have sort of introduced this social surrogacy of, I feel like I follow somebody on Twitter and this is what their real life is like. And oh, isn't it it's so amazing? Again, like, you know, even for me, like, if, if you believe all the advertising you see, I've got some swamp land I'd love to sell you, right? Because <laughs> I, but I do think... You know, to reach out and to, to find those people and to find that support structure so you can share and to be able to do that. Because, I, you know, it's like one of the most amazing things when I started Envision, and I was so skeptical whenever I first got there, was like the 20th employee that the company hired was a chief happiness officer. And, and you know, like the cynical part of you is like, this sounds like an episode of like HBO Silicon Valley or something where you're just like, I can't believe... And like I meet with him every quarter, and it's the most amazing thing to be able to have somebody who genuinely cares about the people in the company. But unlike if I came home and I talked to my wife or I talked to one of my peers, somebody that understands the context of my company. And so, again, I think this is also where, you know, we need to look at the structures that were inside of the companies that we're working for about how do they support and understand our process and aren't asking for new innovation yeah. on old ways of doing things. I spoke yesterday to um, Charlie Simpson, who's the head of flourishing at Bellroy. Bellroy's yeah. a really cool brand. I don't know if you've come across it before. Mm-hmm. Check it out. So they, um, they made wallets initially, but really beautiful design, product design and, uh, and graphic design. So her role is essentially a head of right. happiness. But yeah, I, I was asking her, like, do you think a role like yours is applicable back to a, you know, a smaller business, you know, an SME, 10 to 20 people? Right. She's like, obviously, outside of the, you know, the financial aspect of it, 100%, like actually having someone in your organization that understands the organization and is essentially there as sort of like, you know, just come and chat. Like, well, but, but I think cares for the people because I think historically, human resources departments are very important, but they tend to care for the company more than the people. And so I think knowing that in ours, like, is a certified life coach. It's a guy who, again, you know, who will get back to you within 24 hours and you have the ability to know that you can go and whether it's, you know, having problems with a teammate, whether it's something, a leadership thing. Like, I just love that sort of check in and tune up where we go and have lunch for like three hours once a quarter and to be able to do that sort of thing. But I think it's also just knowing that we don't just say we care about people, that there is a tangible way for us to be able to actually look at that, measure it, invest in it. But the, the parallel between companies that 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 really do do that and, right. the, and the quality of their products. Because we were talking yesterday, there's no difference between the way InVision would treat one of its customers and the way they would treat one of their one of their team members, right? right. And, th- and there should be that open discourse. So a team member, if they feel like for whatever reason, you know, someone was being disingenuous right. or, you know, corporate have been uh, talking, yeah, this is what, this is what we're going to do, but all of a sudden it changes. Right. Having that open dialogue to say, well, actually, no, I... I well, this, and, this isn't what I expected. And I think especially because it's interesting. I think most people don't know. So Envision is actually the world's largest distributed company. We have no office at all. So all like 800 plus people work remote. And I think, you know, it's, it becomes even more important there because you have to empower vulnerability because it's so easy to suffer in silence. But, but I think whenever you really invest in people, like it is the most talented, most passionate, and like most amazing group of people I've ever worked with in my career. Because again, we're really investing that and just saying like, you know, look, work from home work from wherever you want yeah. like there's somebody you know you can go work for an rv like whatever that is what works for you right how, how does that at scale that 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 distributed um team like is it do you get together a lot like is there a lot of no we do points? so yeah. i think you know we definitely like at least once a quarter like you know whenever i'm back in the states i'll be home back in new york for a week and then the week after that we get all 800 people together yeah. for an entire week wow. we sort of take over this big resort in 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 phoenix but no, I think there is still, it's never a replacement. We still do video calls. Like, there are no phone calls. You, 
you still really want to do that. But I think we also, we hire very differently. We're much more rigorous. We prioritize trust and self-stars. Like probably a lot of the stuff you really should whenever you're in person. But there's that sort of like, eh, I'll be around them so we can figure that out. And But I think, you know, for us, it, it really is a lot of that investment in people. I think our hiring process is extremely rigorous. We there was, we were in an event and somebody joked like who here went through less than six rounds of interviews. And I think like two hands went up. So again, like whenever people come onto the team, it matters. And, and you really care about making sure that this is somebody that I really want to work with because again, not only are we building the tools and doing this new stuff, but trying to do it in such a different way. And vice versa. Not only is this someone we want to work with, is this a place where you want to work? Right. right. So finding that two way street, and I think going through that rigorous process and it seems to be a common thread for companies that actually, you know, do give a shit down, you know, down to the bottom right. level that they do that process right. because it's it's an insurance policy one for the team because bringing people on too quickly, you know, it doesn't work out well for the right. general team spirit going forward and, or and the individual or the well, company. And, and that's our thing. I think even like you know, whenever you start with a company, the first two weeks you get about twenty or thirty hours of onboarding. In most of my companies, I got a laptop and somebody told me good luck. But I think I mean, look, there's still that process of kind of working through it. And what does that look like? It has been a massive change for me. I've never had to lead like this. I've never had to work like this. There's so much of I was like, I used to have teams all around the world. I'm really good at this. Wow, do I need to apologize to those people? What are some of the challenges you faced? I think a lot of it is, you know, how do you create genuine collaboration across spaces where it's not just that sort of like, you know, one studio is doing the work and everybody else is watching sort of a thing. I think it is, how do you really empower that vulnerability? How do you create behaviors that we say, look, this is what we believe, and then let everybody sort of bring it to life in their own way? Um, I, I think that there's a lot of those sort of things where, you know, you just were kind of say, like, great, we're going to take the same practices and the same way of doing things, and we're just going to do it, but people are going to sit other places. And that just doesn't work because you need a place where everyone can contribute equally. You need a place where everybody can have a voice equally. We need to be able to do that sort of stuff and be, again, much more deliberate in what does that culture look like and what does that process look yeah, like. It does add that layer of complexity to it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. That's really, I opened an office in Thailand a few years ago and, and it basically fell apart because it did, we didn't have that, that right. communication level there. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think that, and that's what's driven our product roadmap. Is mm. that, you know, that's why we have like a whiteboarding tool that you can put 200 people into a product to do that and yeah. your phone is no longer filled with like the white the photos of whiteboards <laughs> that had like do not yeah, erase yeah. written across the top of them you know it's like you know everybody has tons of those but that was the thing is like yeah everybody gets a pen and everybody can contribute and everybody can have a conversation it's such a different dynamic of engagement yeah and i think once you have the that 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 team spirit and the connection it really doesn't matter where you are and you, you right. can you can be any we have the tools to make that possible yeah um it is more difficult to build that uh that team when it is there when it is distant though it is I, I think but at the same point though like what is amazing for me is is the ability to say i just want the best people in the world mm. i don't i yeah, don't care great. where you live i don't yeah. i don't need to talk you into moving to new york city like i've got people who live in amsterdam london i have a woman who lives in moab utah in the middle of the desert right great because, again, we're, we can just go to wherever the talent is and, again, let them live their life and, and be able to do that and bring their best self to what it is that, that we're trying to build. And in a, in a creative field, people are doing thinking. How, how great is that to empower them to be like, well, I can actually do this from where I want oh, yeah. rather than feeling like I have to go sit in the box. And just even the diversity of the perspectives that every single day my, all of my team walk out. You know, our entire company walks out to very different experiences all over the world. And so you don't start to get that. You know, like, you know, like America's really design is very famous for like, we sort of think that what we do, the rest of the world just, you know, we, they do that too. You get a lot of those unconscious biases, a lot of that stuff in the work suddenly gets very different because again, you have such a diverse perspective that you're able to bring into the work. That's exciting. Yeah. 
So what excites you about the future? What are you, what are you looking forward to? I, you know, it's such a big question. I mean, for me, I think the future is to be able to get designed to that place where it is a core part of the business and that this isn't just a moment for us, that this is this place where, you know, as we look at the skills, as we look at what we can bring, this becomes just the, the standard. And then we can start to build on that and innovate on that. The sort of the, like the press release innovation of let's do like, you know, some innovation lab that puts out a nice screenshot of something we're never going to launch. I think that, you know, it is a moment where... You know, that's what excites me, right? Is, is we're in a moment right now where I think creatives have the ability to affect business in ways we haven't seen since the Industrial Revolution. I, I saw the, um, the work Invision did with IBM, The Loop, mm-hmm. um, and the documentary that came out of that. So, so things like that on paper look amazing, but then I suppose seeing that actually trickle through and, and, and if impact change long term. Right. Well, and I think that's, that's the, the part of it, right? Because like, if it's just that press release, hey, we did this thing and it doesn't go anywhere. If you look at like, yeah, what IBM did... They're an amazing partner for us. We wanted to highlight them because if you look at the way they've integrated design thinking into every part of that company, if you look at, I think they now employ like more designers than maybe any other company in the world. And if you think about what the image of IBM was a few years ago, that shift is so amazing. And I think, you know, that's part of it for us is to also find the platforms to like, how do we tell those stories? Like one of the things I'll often point tons of people to is we have something called like the Design Genome Project. And what we do is we actually go in and take a deep dive into how do companies really work? not like the press release sort of part of it. How many engineers or designers you have? What is your methodology? What's your real approach to things? And going into a lot of the world's biggest companies like Herman Miller or Netflix or The Gap or other things like that to really, again, like we said, let's have that conversation about that 90% in the middle and to be able to do that. Because I think those are the stories that we need to be telling more because then other companies know it's possible. Yeah. Then they know what should they model themselves after because there are so many conversations I have. People are like, we want to be the next Netflix do you even know what that means? Sure. <laughs> no, that, that's exciting. I was talking to a guy from IBM here uh, this morning talking about some of the IX uh, studio design teams they've got in Sydney and Melbourne. There's some of the uh, like social welfare projects they're working on. It's really, I mean, really interesting and exciting yeah. stuff. And it's not really what you, you, know, you think of IBM. That's not what you think of traditionally. Right. right. But that's what I say. But I think but as you're able to, again, look at what has design been able to do to that company. What is, what is design thinking done to them? And, and again, that that's the place where they're at really speaks to the fact that, again, it is possible. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Where are you eating tonight? Um, you know, actually, tonight is a business dinner we're having with some customers. Most of the time, whenever I'm in cities like this, we try to do just like a private dinner. Yeah. So yeah, nice. I'm actually not 100% sure where they booked it tonight. <laughs> so it'll be a little bit of an adventure. Awesome. I will enjoy the rest of your time in Australia. I hope you enjoy Melbourne and Sydney's beautiful city. No, so I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be back. I know there are a few other events have already reached out. And no, I mean, it's, it, it's amazing to come because I, like one of the things that I, it was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from an old CEO who said, like, if you ever really want to understand someplace, you can't read about it. Like, you need to go there and buy groceries. And so, you know, again, I think for me to be able to come down here and, and really be able to kind of experience it has been something I've wanted to do for a long time. And it took me way too long, but I'm really glad to be here. Oh, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. If people want to find you, where can they look? Yeah. So the, the easiest way to, uh, to find me and the work that I do is just head over to The Crazy One. It's thecrazyandthenumberone.com. And obviously, everything that we're doing at Envision, you can find that. Just head over to uh, envisionapp.com. Um, all of our tools are free. You can go over and try all of them out. 
tons of great things around Design Better, a lot of books and some really good information there. So again, you can go check all that out for free. Really worth checking out the blog. I've, I've, loved, I've loved the content you put out from the start. I mean, it really, and I think that trick was back to, you know, it, it isn't just content for content's sake. Right. It's, it's, it's actually really good pieces and thoughtful pieces. Yeah, and I think we, we try to partner with the best in the industry. We, we really put a lot of effort in making sure that what we're putting out there, because I think, you know, one of, the, one of the great things that we have is when you work with 97% of the world's Fortune 100 brands, you've got a really big perspective. And yeah. I think we want to make sure that we bring the best of that information and the best of that perspective. And yeah, I mean, the I'm constantly amazed by the blog, even what I learned from, from what's on there. So yeah, definitely check it out. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much, mate. Enjoy Australia. Thanks so much. Cheers. See you. So I really hope you enjoyed that, that conversation. I think there's some really brilliant takeaways. If you'd like to hear more from Stephen, he has so much content out there. You can head to Stephen, that's with a P-H, StephenGates.com, where you can find um, everything about him, basically. You've got his uh, portfolio, um, some of his talks, and also a link through to the Crazy One podcast. Not just designers, um, anybody in a creative industry, marketers, um, and even just business owners, I highly recommend giving it a listen. The, uh, the talk that I really recommend you jumping into is The Future is Creative, a keynote from How Design Live 2019. So that's episode number 82. So uh, if you want to use that as a kicking off point, highly recommend it. And as always, and as always if you, you enjoy, enjoy the, the podcast, podcast please, please tell somebody else tell about somebody, it. Tell, the tell the person sitting, sitting next to you about Digital Noir, Digital presents, Noir presents Humans Aren't Robots. Tap them on the shoulder. I'm sure they'll think you're a weirdo, but who cares? We're all weirdos. Uh, and exciting news from Pause Fest. New location has been announced. Shed 14 at the Docklands in Melbourne. A really cool part of the city. Tickets are on sale now, 5th to the 7th of February 2020. If you haven't been to Pause Fest before, you're really missing out. It's one of the world's leading festivals of business and creativity. And have the chance to see people like Stephen Gates speak for yourself and also have some conversations with you know some of the thought leaders in creative and business and entrepreneurship around the world so we will definitely be there it's coming up quickly get in now early bird ticket prices are on and they're going up soon so looking forward to it and we will see you next time cheers